There we go. It's a special edition of CJMP News Today. And it's Remembrance Day on this November 11th, 2016. And I have a special guest with me as well. Hello. Hello. And you might be able to guess the sound of that voice, who it is, but we're going to introduce him in just a second. Uh, Right now, it's 12 p.m., and it's November 11th. It's been a rough week, news-wise. So on this Remembrance Day, I thought it would be helpful, maybe, to keep it local, like we do best, um, without ignoring what's going on in the South. Right now, you're listening to Shostakovich. This is a piece. It's uh, part of his Symphony No. 7, recorded by the USSR Ministry of Culture Symphony Orchestra in 1988. And this is an important piece of music for Russia and the West as a symbol of resistance to Nazi totalitarianism and militarism. It was repurposed by the state as a piece of musical propaganda during its time by Stalin, Uh, but now we recognize it as being an act of resistance. This week we have witnessed a president-elect in the United States who speaks hatred and violence. In his first 100 days in office, he has committed to repealing affordable health care, to pushing through energy projects despite popular opposition. The American aristocracy has been revealed to the world stage like never before. And... um, Like I said, for this episode, we will continue to do what we do best and keep it local. And uh, I want to introduce my guest now. Ari Niemand is in the studio with me. Hello, Ari. Hello. You might know him better as Ari Dublion, host of the Powtown Get Down, which airs every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. And you've got a special show going on tonight? Yes, that's right. Tonight on the Powtown Get Down, starting at 8 p.m., Sam Cutler will be in the studio with me. Sam was the tour manager for the Rolling Stones and tour manager and co-manager for the Grateful Dead uh, in the early 70s up until about 1974. And uh, Sam is in town visiting his old buddy, Courtney Pollock, the tie-dye artist, uh, part of the Grateful Dead family too, and it was uh, fortunate for me to meet him. So I invited him to come to my show tonight. Sam also promoted the first ever Bob Marley and the Whalers show in North America. Oh, where was that? That was uh, in California. Well, he was at the the record plant in Sausalito. It was recorded in front of a live studio audience, and then there was a tour following that. So uh, we're going to talk about that and a few other things today with Sam at starting at 8 p.m. on the Powtown Get Down. Okay, so don't miss that. That's on CJMP, of course. Um, for this show... We're going to play a few expert excerpts excuse me, from a two-hour-long forum that happened in mid-September. And um, that was a forum organized by MLA Nicholas Simons and legislative assistant and city councilor Maggie Hathaway. And it was about affordable housing. It was attended by members of the community, local politicians, and people who have lived experience of the homelessness. And we're going to play you some experts from, excuse me, excerpts from that show, like I said. Um, but first, Ari, you know, while you're here... Um, I happen to know that you're American by birth. That's true. Uh, but have lived outside the country for many years now. Also true. <laughs> I left the USA in 1990 uh, when I graduated from high school. Um, people have been recently uh, threatening to leave the USA if Trump wins. But uh, yeah, I did it right before George Bush won. So um, I'm old school, I guess. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, my my f- entire family lives down there. Lots of people who are close to me and I love still live there, of course. And uh, I'm concerned for them and for the rest of Americans and even Canadians. You know, living up here, I, 
it's hard not to feel isolated, of course. Indeed. Uh, especially from the events going on in America. Um, wh- what have you been hearing from your friends and family who are still in the U.S.? Uh, I guess there's two main threads of thought, I think, from people down there. Uh, some people are just like, yeah, whatever, this this thing happens all the time, nothing changes. The more things change, the more they stay the same. I think those people don't fully um, um, realize the threat that is coming, the dark threat that is coming. Um, but most people and most thinking people, in my opinion, seem to be terrified, and that's, a, uh, I think, an appropriate response. Um, Donald Trump is, in my opinion, not qualified to be uh, a president or a politician. Uh, he's a um, quote-unquote business person. Uh, I use the term loosely. But uh, it's because of that that, um, that there is grave concern, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, I was in the States just a few years ago, um, so I feel like I, I know what's happening more recently, but also I know you travel there a lot. Anyways, we all do. We, mm-hmm. um, but uh, I just talked to my mother this week after after seeing what she had to say about the news, what's going on down there. And she was in California, um, informed me that there is homeless camps um, set up all along like the I-5 now, like in California. Oh, yeah. I see homelessness. It's quite visible uh, and apparent pretty much everywhere in the USA. Anywhere you go, uh, like along the highways, homeless camps, also at the rest areas, there's always um, groups of people um, uh, panhandling, I guess. Um, living in their car, moving from place to place, if they can scrape up a scrape up a few bucks to to get from A to B in their car, and uh, yeah, it's definitely um, there's an epidemic of homelessness um, in the world, but you know it, we definitely see it in the USA and right here in Powell River. And a, a Trump presidency is not necessarily a positive step forward. We don't. Maybe he'll surprise us, but I, I doubt it that something's going to change in that realm. I think it's actually getting worse, and I, I have, there's set statistics to prove it. And actually, a lot of those uh, numbers were um, given at the recent housing, on, housing forum um, by right. local realtor Ross Cooper. And I'm going to play an excerpt from him. And I have uh, three excerpts. This one is about 10 minutes long, um, but I urge you to listen to the whole thing which is in its entirety on uh, cjmp.ca. If you click podcasting and then go to CJMP News, you'll find this link. And it's, like I said, about two hours long. And um, while you're at cjmp.ca, go ahead and click the link that says sustain us because we're on a month-long sustaining member drive. And, um, you know, we're trying to see if, you know, the community supports what we do. Uh, If you find you're getting entertainment and news that you value from this station, uh, please show your support. So first of all, here's Ross Cooper, and um, he is speaking on September 16th. Real estate license in 1993 and an associate broker license in 1995. He's been involved in residential and commercial real estate for 23 years. He oversees the operation of the property management section at REMAX, which he initiated in 1995. His community involvement includes the Rotary Club and the Powell River Foundation, and it's a real pleasure to have you here. Ross, thank you for coming. Thank you, Nicholas. And thanks for everybody who, who has come to listen to what I also believe is a very, very important subject, and that's why I didn't hesitate one, uh, one moment when I was asked to, uh, to join in. I guess <clears throat> when you're... When you're working on a day-to-day basis, you don't think that you have anything to offer. 
until you realize that uh, maybe somebody is interested in hearing the day-to-day or week-to-week, month-to-month, year-to-year situations that happen. I thought that um, I would start with Debbie D. had asked me and said, what what are you going to talk about? And hope someone will talk about the trends in rent increases. So I said, okay, I'll um, I'll put my words to that. So what are the why are rent rents high right now? Well, the simple answer, of course, is supply and demand. Demand far outweighs supply right now. Vacancy rates are at the all-time low. Lynn, you don't have to uh, guess. I've checked with both property managers in town. They're both under 1% and negligible right now. So in my 20 years of observation, I've never seen it as low as it is right now. There's lots of examples. Um, We have a one-bedroom, 700-square-foot detached shop offered between $750-$800 a month. And within a one week, we had 11 tenant applications, and four of them were very, very desperate. And that's, that's a very typical situation that's going on on a day-to-day basis. It's not an exaggerated example. This is playing out every day. The few times that anything comes in, we get a tidal wave of tenant applications, tenant inquiries. And I experienced even one where there was a tenant that was introduced to a $900 rental. And after seeing it... Um, wrote up a very personalized description of their family and why they should receive it and offered $1,100 for it just to make sure that they were able to secure it. And they weren't because there was other people doing the same thing. Sad. So there is, uh, there's more than just mild um, demand out there. It's getting to a level where uh, those type of examples are happening on a regular basis. So how did we get, how did we get undersupplied and over-demand in the marketplace, and again, these are my opinions and my opinions only, but um, there are lots of factors. The real estate market, as you may know, the activity has increased enormously. Once again, I haven't seen it like this, and there's lots of reasons for it, but uh, the increased prices have affected uh, certainly a couple of things. Um, The increased, uh, it's increased the segment of potential buyers to become renters due to the, uh, uh, the not able to afford uh, of course, but uns- uncertain and unsteady incomes, prices up, um, prices up made uh, buying unaffordable. The segment has no other option but uh, but to uh, seek renting, and therefore part of that segment has made rent increased or the the demand increased. Many investors, and a lot of people are asking about how come private industry hasn't filled that uh, gap, and there's been a lot of investors that have purchased rental homes over the past 20 years because Powell River has been very affordable. Uh, I have lots of customers that 15, 20 years ago purchased because everything looked uh, rosy and it looked like the right place and it looked like there could be increase. I mean, it's, they are investors uh, nevertheless, and so supply um, was decent, it was balanced, and we didn't have the situations we have right now. Those people, that cycle has come to an end. And for whatever, uh, well, there's a number of reasons, but one of them could be just the fact that after 15 years of holding an investment, it was time for them to sell. But making decisions based on, well, prices increased. So I'm going to be able to get a favorable return on my initial investment. Property taxes have increased. Home insurance has increased. Repair costs have increased. And in some cases, hydro costs and strata fees have all increased. So those are all reasons why they've made a decision that it's time for them to uh, divest themselves of that investment and perhaps answers a bit as to why other investors aren't uh, filling that void and that vacuum by rushing into the, uh, into the market. 
rents didn't come up as fast, so to cover some of the costs that have increased itself. Um, so that's affected long-time renters because long-time renters who are in there and are affected by limiting their rental increases every year, they would be on the forefront of an investor who says, oh, maybe that with the prices of increased of a house, maybe this is what I should do is, is look at putting it on the market and selling it. As opposed to turnover, turnover, they're able to keep a little bit closer to where the fair market values are in the, in the rental market itself, and so they're able to maybe uh, make a decision on a balanced investment itself. So we've seen an increase in uh, buyer purchases. Again, supply and demand. When more purchasers, prices increase. When prices increase, it's harder for an investor to find a home to purchase where the cost can be covered by the local rental rates. Um, most inventors now, or investors now, unless they find a rare um, uh, item or they have their own reasons for buying a particular item, generally they're looking for multi-units because multi-units on a parcel of land breaks down those property taxes and the home insurance and all the costs down into individual units as opposed to spreading it over under just one rental income itself. So anything under the market under $300,000 is getting snapped up. This market is looked at not by just locals. They're looked at more and more and have been for some time by uh, out-of-town investors. We've seen a huge increase in uh, Vancouver investors, and I'm not telling you anything you don't already know by reading newspapers and such like that, but with the increases that they've seen down in Vancouver, those people in Vancouver have come to places like Powell River and said, I'm in. So it's, it has uh, eliminated an awful lot of uh, potential rental homes that have been here in the past. So our rental rates now max out closer to $1,500, and I'm sure that's not really of interest in, in this audience so much because we're talking about affordable housing. But what it means is that when you get to about a fourteen dollars or $1,500 a month, if you can afford that, generally you're going to end up buying a home. And that trend is the case. The problem is, is that it used to be the case at $900, $950. When you get to that maximum, usually that particular renter is going to be buying a home. We started, uh, there's a typical example. Most people know the Willow Avenue um, duplexes side by side. They used to be 325, somewhere 275, 375. Now they're in the closer in the range of 650. So those kind of increases are eliminating the, um, the entry-level rental um, rates in town. Slide rule, everything goes up. But in Powell River, it packs um, and stops at a certain, certain number. And the reason why that's important is that if you could get $2,500 for a rent then you would have more investors, and there you would fill, fill those needs, and that would eliminate a lot of the uh, entry-level rentals, or at least loosen it up to be able to uh, have, have more affordable housing, in my opinion. So um, everything that I'm talking about is, uh, that I see every day is, can be brought down into a supply-demand thing. I'm not here to uh, offer solutions. That's why an entire panel is here. I'm here giving you the observations of what I see. But for examples of the cost inputs, I mean, earthquake insurance, uh, I know I'm, there's one condominium, 21-unit uh, condominium project. When I got involved with it 15 years ago, earthquake insurance was uh, near and around $3,000 a year. It's now $9,600 a year. Strata fees have gone up enormously. Why? Because uh, we have a, a, a government now that's bringing in uh, depreciation expense reports and, and all the strata 
companies or corporations, I should say, are allowing for extra money going to the savings account to pay for those depreciation expense reports that will ultimately come into play. Why do they have to do it? Well, it's going to get to a point where banks are not going to uh, fund condos unless they've had a depreciation expense report. There's a little bit of leeway right now that they're able to put it off every year, every year, every year, but it's going to come to a a point where the banks are going to say no more. Depreciation expense reports, when they first came out, they're $12,000 for the report by engineers. So again, I'm, I'm talking about a lot of the factors and inputs that go into a landlord or a potential investor making a decision to have a rental place. And those things are all coming into play because everything's gone up in, in, in price. And that's my input. Good. Thanks for having me here. Thank you very much, Ross. And thanks for making yourself available for questions later. I'm sure there will be some. So that was Ross Cooper. He's a longtime realtor in Powell River. He has seen firsthand how the housing market has changed in this town. Um, and uh, that's a good segue to... Uh, Ari Dublion here, who is a longtime veteran programmer at CJNP. Yep. Uh, how many years has it been now? Um, if you include the years of the hiatus when CJMP wasn't broadcasting live, um, what are we, tw- probably ten, at least 10 years, maybe more. Has there been community radio in Paul River for that long? Even, even a little longer. I moved here in 2004, and um, the model community project held the license for CJMP in those days and managed the station, but uh, they, were, they had other business that they were doing, and uh, managing the station wasn't their priority, and uh, things didn't really work out so well for them. And um, about six and a half years ago, uh, I guess the, the, uh, an opportunity was offered Offered to a group of CJMP volunteers like myself, and um, to to take over to to reelect a new board, if you will, and and to start managing this station as a community radio station. And it's it's been so yeah, like I said, six years or so. It's been a great journey. I think I started broadcasting again on the new CJMP in about uh, January of 2010, or was it 2011? And um, and yeah, I've been going strong ever since on Friday nights. That's a it's a lot of it's a lot of radio. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, well, every Friday, every like Friday, week to week. Um, what keeps you going? Because I know that I mean that's a lot of work to put together a radio show. Uh, what what draws you to community radio? Uh, well, for one thing, the community aspect of it. I think most of my close friends uh, around Powtown are people I've met through radio, and and a lot of. Um, Interesting, cool people, artists, journalists, etc., forward-thinking people, when they come to town, they seem to seek out CJMP as a community. Even if they're not necessarily interested in being directly involved in radio, um, they know that this is where uh, thinking people are coming and where people who like to do fun things come. Mm-hmm. And we have a lot of volunteers who do a lot behind the scenes who don't necessarily um, have shows, but uh, there's that's a right. lot of volunteer work that's done there's here. There's certainly a lot of... A lot a lot of volunteers that put in a lot more hours than I do. Um, I was on the board for three years, uh, so I was pretty busy with that. But generally, just as a programmer, uh, it's really only four or five hours a week, two hours on air, and then two or three hours preparing for my show, downloading and listening to music. And honestly, part of what keeps me going is um, is my interest in reggae music. And, and I think that if I wasn't um, seeking out new music all the time, I would just be listening to the old stuff and my interest might fade. So it, 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 I kind of, I'm also 
people who know me know I'm a huge fan of a band called Fish, who are not a reggae band, but uh, I, I could listen to just Fish only. So having a radio show honestly forces me to hear reggae. And uh, part of the reason that, that I love reggae is the message that's in the music. And, and I think uh, community radio being an outlet for uh, alternative ways of thinking and for presenting new ideas, even difficult concepts, um, that's why I bring reggae music to to radio is to, to, to spread that message. My show isn't a talk show. It's not a politics show. Uh, I do rant occasionally, but mostly the message is in the music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and if, you, if anyone follows you on Facebook, you know that you rant a bit there, but you are, you've also been recognized as a... Uh, Facebook ranter. It's true. Uh, Not ranter, just a best Facebooker, according to Powell River Living Magazine, apparently. (laughs) Well, I want to let listeners know that uh, this show... You know, we generally put it on uh, every week, and it's it's local, it's original, and it's news you're not going to find anywhere else. Generally, we like to go a bit deeper into topics that you can't really do in 500 words. Um, I've been sick all week and debated about just not coming in today, but it's a fun drive month, and I uh, my dedication is to share local news with you, the listener. And like I said, if you find this information valuable, uh, and that's the key word, value, uh, then please support with what you think is worth and can afford to this station uh, $5 a month, $10 a month, and it goes from there. So Yeah, the sustaining memberships are uh, m- monthly deductions from your PayPal or bank account or what have you. If you don't have any of those things, you could actually come in here and, and drop off cash. And those those monthly sustaining memberships give us a clear idea of our monthly income so uh, we can maintain our equipment, pay our bills, and so on. And CJMP is also hoping to move our studio down downstairs to below the bowling alley um, to a street front accessible location and uh, uh, our goal for this campaign is 200 sustaining members i think we've got 40 or thereabouts presently and thank you to those people yeah indeed indeed like those people have been paying our rent and and been benefiting from it by hearing this valuable you know community radio news program and all the music and other programs that we have and all the um, shows that we get from other stations around canada too that's right uh, and I think now it's, we'll just keep on with the show. So um, this is another excerpt from that housing forum. And next up is uh, Rebecca Withers. So I'll introduce, and uh, the next person is Rebecca Withers, who's relatively new to the Sunshine Coast. Uh, Rebecca moved to Powell River from Vancouver Island, or not from Vancouver Island, but she's from Vancouver Island, um, in April to take the position as social worker in inpatient psychiatry at the hospital here. She spent the last 10 years working as a mental health social worker in Alberta and was the chairperson of the Homeless to Housing Coalition in Banff. Uh, she's passionate. I've seen it. She's passionate about addressing the needs of the hard to house in Powell River, and it's a real pleasure to welcome and to uh, say hello to uh, Rebecca. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Sorry, I'm not used to speaking to a microphone. Um, so thank you. Um, I'm pleased to be invited to participate in this panel. Um, as I like to say, I'm kind of the new girl in town. Um, my family and I moved here in April, so we are in some sense, we're part of the wave of people who are coming to Powell River. Um, however, my family and I, we were able to afford to buy a home, um, and so we did not experience some of the same housing challenges that I see every day um, for the clients that I work with. So I've been uh, working as a social worker for the past 14 years. Housing issues have been at the forefront of what um, 
I see in my everyday work. Um, I came from a community living in Banff and working in Banff and in Canmore. Uh, we were dealing with 0% vacancy rate for many, many years. Um, and I see similar issues in Powell River, although I, to be honest, I do actually um, see that there's many advantages and some wonderful resources in this community that we did not have in the community that I was working in before. However, there are significant issues here that I see every day um, that have a direct impact on the patients that we have in the hospital. Um, it may mean that patients uh, require a longer hospitalization because um, we don't have anywhere for them to go. They've lost their accommodation. They can't afford their accommodation. Um, they're just There's nowhere for us to help get them connected to, so they may stay in for longer, or patients who are struggling with housing issues, they may come back into hospital um, because they don't have any kind of safe place to live on a permanent basis, and so therefore that has a direct impact on their mental health and their well-being. Um, and so what we know and what I know from the work that I've done um, on housing issues over the last 10-plus years is that um, the reality is not housing people is very expensive. Uh, there's a significant cost as far as healthcare dollars, um, but there's people who don't have housing, they're more likely to come in contact with, um, with the RCMP, with any kind of the criminal justice system, they're higher users of different community resources, um, like some of my other panelists here. Whereas if people have safe, stable, affordable housing, um, they are much less likely to use um, the services that they were using in the past. There's a number of examples. There's a, a well-documented study of, a, of um, a fellow who lived in New York City, and they called him Million Dollar Murray. And they estimated that in one year, uh, a gentleman named Murray, who did not have any housing, uh, used $1 million, and this is in the U.S., to be fair, used $1 million worth of resources. Um, but I believe uh, what most statistics would say, even in Canada, that if we were able to find housing for an individual like Murray, who may have mental health issues, he may have addiction issues, it would probably cost about $50,000 um, from a systemic perspective, um, which is a, obviously a very significant savings. Um, and so I feel very passionately that the government needs to work towards increasing available um, and affordable housing for individuals. So that's why I'm here. I'm happy to participate, and thank you, everyone, for coming. And that was Rebecca Withers. She is a uh, social worker, and she also has a firsthand perspective of what's going on in this town, so it was nice to hear her speak as well. Uh, now let's play a little bit of music and come back to some more excerpts, come back to Ari Dublion, the co-host, I'm Carrie Swiggum, by the way. I don't think I said that yet. Um, and thanks for listening. I loved you in the morning Our kisses deep and warm Your hair upon the pillow Like a sleepy golden storm Yes Many love before us I know that we are not new In city and in forest They smiled like me and you But 
but now it's come to distances and both of us must try your eyes are soft with sorrow hey that's no way to say goodbye I'm not looking for another as I wander in my time walk me to the corner our steps will always run you know my love goes with you as your love stays with me it's just the way it changes like the shoreline and the sea but let's not talk of love or chains and Things we can't untie Your eyes are soft with sorrow Hey, that's no way To say goodbye I loved you in the morning Our kisses deep and warm Sleepy golden storm is many love before us. I know that we are not new in city and in forest. They smiled like me and you. But let's not talk of love or chains and things we can't untie. Your eyes are soft with sorrow. Hey, that. No way to say goodbye You are listening to CJMP News on Powell River Community Radio 90.1 FM and streaming online at cjmp.ca. Live Fridays at noon and rebroadcast on Saturdays at 11 a.m. Your voice, your community. Person is a, is a remarkable example of, of, a, of someone who's dedicated the majority of their working life to trying to make the lives better for people who are homeless or hard to house and who has done remarkable work in the city of Vancouver. Um, her, the official biography that I'll read right now is, is uh, as follows. Throughout her 33-year career with the city of Vancouver, Judy Graves has cultivated uh, connections with people living on the streets and in shelters and has served um, those who are marginalized. Um, Judy created the Homelessness Out- Homeless Outreach Project, which connects people to ho- who are homeless to housing, community services, and to income assistance. In her, first, in her program's first two years, more than 700 people found housing. Judy retired from the city of Vancouver in 2013, but continues her advocacy in her work today. In 2009, Judy was awarded an honorary doctorate from University of British Columbia, a Doctor of Divinity from the Vancouver School of Theology in 2013, and the Freedom of the City uh, of Vancouver Award in 2014. Um, Judy received an honorary doctorate degree from Simon Fraser University in 2015, 
And the reason I mention those things is that she's very well recognized in the sector as somebody who has been spearheading some of the more progressive approaches to dealing with the struggles of homelessness. Um, she, she, she's, she's a mentor to many that she doesn't realize she's a mentor to. And I know, having worked in the social service sector myself, that she's uh, uh, greatly respected and um, deserves all of the honors that she's received. I think Judy um, tonight will be able to offer us some perspectives on the history of, of homelessness, in fact. Um, and perhaps she'll be able to provide us some ideas and um, uh, places to start off on, on, on new approaches to dealing with, with homelessness. And it's just my absolute pleasure uh, to welcome Judy to Powell River again. And I know she has family here. And I ask, ask a Powell River welcome for Judy Graves. Uh, I think I want to start off by saying Powell River is extremely important to me and that's because I am David and Abby's grandma so, um, this is a really beautiful community and I want to tell you right off the bat homelessness seeing homelessness begin in your community is not all bad news what it means is that your community is vibrant. Homelessness does not happen in depressed communities. Homelessness happens in communities that are developing quickly. Um, when the vacancy rate drops below about 4%, you start seeing your first homeless person. When you're down to 1%, you're going to see a lot more. Um, but it does mean that this is a growing and vibrant community, and you need to take pride in that. I wish that Vancouver had had a meeting this size in 1990, which was about when our homeless crisis started. But it didn't look like a crisis then. It was... We saw a guy living outside downtown where you never used to see a guy living outside. And we just thought, oh, well, Riverview closed and, right? And then another, and then another. And by 1993, I was getting phone calls at work from the media saying, um, how many homeless are there in Vancouver? And what is the city doing about it? And at that point, the city of Vancouver was doing absolutely nothing about it and didn't for quite a number of years. What you have right now in your community is the first little canaries in the mine. What you're seeing is a person here a person there, you can kind of say, mm, well, maybe it's that person's fault, or maybe your services should be doing a little bit better, or, you know, just the harumph, can't somebody find that man a room, or, you know? But that's not what's happening. In any community, anywhere across Canada, and I have been in the streets of every major city across Canada, you'll find people 
who are going to have a struggle remaining housed. They have been hit usually by as many as seven diagnosed disabilities. They may, before they were born, have started off with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. They may, as a young child, have wound up in foster care. They may have had a head injury. They may have attachment disorder from being in the foster care. They may have physical disabilities on top of that and psychiatric disability. I mean, it just, the load that some people are carrying is beyond all imagining. And these are the people that we find in the streets of Vancouver. These are the people you'll be seeing in the streets of Powell River. It starts off slowly, and you're at the point where it's starting off slowly, and then it snowballs. Now, I, I know services, right? I've been working in the downtown east side since 1979, with the street population since 74. Um, I was working with... Um, Vietnam draft dodgers and deserters in the streets of Vancouver in the late 60s, early 70s. I've been working with services all my life. You've just heard from a series of excellent service providers here. They know what they're doing. You can trust these people. Um, and they're telling you we're at the beginning of a crisis. Please believe them. Because if, if the problem is not dealt with in the next five years, your community is not going to look like it does now. Powell River is utterly beautiful. But it will still, you know, five years from now, it will begin to look like downtown Vancouver with Robson Street, with a panhandler on every corner, with somebody sleeping in every doorway, um, smelling of urine from people who have no access to bathrooms. Um, and it's not that hard to deal with it. But you first have to break through your own denial. You know, it's, it's such, Powell River is such a beautiful and squeaky clean community that it's hard to imagine it looking like downtown Vancouver in a few years. I can promise you it will. They were ignoring the signs and symptoms in Montreal, and all of a sudden their streets and their transit system are covered with homeless people. It's just like that. Now, <clears throat> when we look at the West Coast, I'm sorry, when we look at the West Coast, when we look at Vancouver, in Vancouver we do a lot of talking about homelessness, and we do a lot of work towards solutions, and we've been partly very effective. People say, oh, everybody in Canada is coming to the West Coast because of our beautiful weather. But that's not true. When I go to... Montreal, when I go to Toronto or Ottawa, first thing I do is put on my street clothes and go out in the street and start meeting people who live there who can tell me about homelessness and shelters and poverty in their community. And you know, 
when it was minus 19 degrees in Ottawa, I found people from Vancouver living out there, living outside at minus 19. I found people from Vancouver later that week living outside at minus 12 degrees with a high wind in Toronto. Canadians love to travel. And we all love to travel, rich or poor. We go back and forth and we explore this country. People are all alike, you know. Um, what is different about Powell River is how many of your homeless are local. They come from here. And that's very um, usual in small towns. When we go to Abbotsford or Chilliwack, Almost all of the homeless that are there were born there or adopted into that community as tiny infants. It, it, it's a local thing. You, you'll see people, you'll remember having gone to school with them. Um, so the first big and terrible mistake you can make is denial. But I think that you've got a group of people here who've pretty much broken through that. Um, Ross did an excellent job of explaining to you the economics of housing in, in your municipality. Um, you can look at it as numbers and finances. You can look at it as individuals in the street. Both ways are absolutely valid, but the They'll all tell you exactly the same thing. When we get to solutions, what you need to know is that all people are pretty much the same. You know, um, I dare say that everybody here in the audience is living inside. And I will risk offending you by saying I think that probably none of us are perfect in our behavior. And I will <laughs> further risk it by saying a lot of us get worse as we get older. <laughs> um, um, housing is not a way of making people smarten up and shape up, you know. Housing is a way of housing people. It's dignity. It's also health. Nobody without housing remains healthy. If you're not paying for it in housing, and if you're not paying for it by barricading your businesses, which is extremely expensive, if you're not paying for housing, you're paying enormous health care costs. Um, often when I speak, I bring pictures that I've taken in the streets of Vancouver of people um, and just let them play behind me as a way of sort of bringing my friends in to meet you. I didn't do that tonight, but there are some powerful pictures that I've taken of people who've been recently discharged from hospital and are now in the streets, sleeping in the streets, because they have no housing. Those people have been beautifully cared for with state-of-the-art medicine. You can still see the bandages, the casts, the crutches, 
the um, movement that they learned with physiotherapy. And they're in the street and sleeping in an alley, and you know that they're going to be back in that hospital in three days. We call our emergency department the $2,500 drop-in clinic because every time that one of those people winds up in eMERGE, that's what you and I are paying for that visit. Um, There's really no choice but at some point to bite the bullet and deal with it. This is probably the point. Now, having watched this happen across Canada, I can tell you what not to do. And the first thing is you probably need Impal River one tiny shelter, right? You may want to run that shelter um, in unused church space. You may want to have it open initially only during the cold or rainy weather and then expand it if it's necessary. But you do not want to build many shelters. You do not want large numbers of shelter beds here because that's what they did in Toronto. Toronto built shelters instead of building housing with the result they've probably got, they don't want to count them, but they've probably got in the neighborhood of 15,000 people living homeless in Toronto who never have the stability of home. They never have the regularity of home. That they, they cycle through the shelters, they cycle through the hospitals, they cycle through the streets, and it's a, a major problem. So don't overbuild shelters. The big mistake that they made for decades in the United States was thinking of, of housing as some kind of extortion for um, sobriety. So you could only have housing if you were going to stop drinking and remain sober. And now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands about how many of you have the odd beer in your house, right? But it's <laughs> fairly normal. Be honest. <laughs> no, don't. <laughs> Exactly. Okay, so you're listening to Judy Graves, and uh, for a time she was the official homelessness uh, liaison and advocate in Vancouver. She spoke in Paul River. Uh, she was the headline speaker at this housing forum. Um, there's still about, I don't know, 10 minutes left on for her um, uh, speech. And uh, I think, you know, she was speaking from the heart. I don't think I saw any notes there, actually, if you want to call it a speech. But anyways... Um, uh, we are back. We are listening to CJMP News. I'm here with Ari Dublion. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Arby. <laughs> and we are in the midst of a month-long sustaining member drive. And, um, you know, if you've been listening to this show since the beginning, uh, you know that we have changed our format uh, quite a bit, um, kind of seeing what works, what doesn't work, um, how many people are available to help with the show this week. Um you know, it's great to see the support from the CJMP family, if you will, uh, who have come out and, you know, like Ari's here as a mm-hmm. volunteer to co-host with me. Appreciate it's a team, that. right? There are several of you yeah. that get together to make this news program. Mm-hmm. There are several, yes. 
Some, well, sometimes when I'm listening, there's two or three people on the microphones, and there's somebody on the on the Martin, which is what uh, which is the nickname for our um, DJ console or or what have you. And so, yeah, it's a great team, and it's it's great. Uh, I was actually surprised how quickly the news show coagulated into something um, something accessible. Uh, like you guys seemed really pro pretty right off the bat and and often community radio people like sometimes there's a technical difficulty somebody hits the wrong button something doesn't come on and people oh haha community radio so it's cool if if we are loose and screw up a little bit but uh the news has been really pro you know that hasn't really been been a a, an issue so uh, i'm proud of cjmp all these years getting to this spot and then getting a grant to actually hire someone um to put news together and and we're lucky to have uh, a, a genuine um university educated broadcaster broadcaster well thank you ari i appreciate yeah that's carrie swigham that i'm talking about of course (laughs) um i mean definitely not a broadcaster by trade by training um more of a journalist journalist okay but i'm learning as i go and that's what community radio is great for yeah you know actually if you're um if you're listening regularly you might have heard that brooks uh high school students aired their first show uh, two weeks ago now. Fantastic. And that's just, you know, more people in the community who are getting involved. Uh, you know, we want this to be a place where people can learn skills that they can use um, in other areas. Uh, sometimes just finding your voice is, is really a skill in itself. Sure. Public speaking. Yep. Still working on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things that we offer to people that isn't available uh, in the city otherwise is access to the airwaves um there are other radio stations here and there are fine people who operate those stations and uh but you can't just walk in there and say hey i have an idea uh you know so you can do that at cgmp anybody could do that uh and now with a with a station manager there's someone here you know most hours most business hours during the week so people can come in off the street and say hey i have an idea or I'd like to hear more about this or that. And uh, why isn't anybody talking about something? Let's talk about it. And community radio exists for that purpose. And that's why it's important here in the community uh, for the people of Powell River and those listening online out of town to uh, kick down a little bit uh, and, you know, reach deep into their PayPal and, <laughs> and, uh, and offer us a monthly sustaining membership so that we can keep bringing uh, news uh, and other great programs, music, uh, etc. Uh, we also are involved with some uh, events that happen around town as well. So these are things that uh, that offer a voice for people who are otherwise unheard. And and also like you know we're upstairs and there are people in this community who can't climb stairs and they have a voice too. So that's one of the reasons we ha- we're having this sustain campaign now is to move downstairs to a accessible street front location so those people can be heard as well. Yes, and um, as far as I know, it's only like a hundred or two hundred dollars more a month than we're actually paying now to be accessible to those people. And I know several volunteers, like like Ari said, who just can't get up the stairs, and it's um, unfortunate because this should be available for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, we now, sort of inherited this space. Uh, like I said, what I explained earlier about uh, how CGMP sort of changed hands from one community uh, or one group in the community to another, and it was already set up here, so that's why we're here. Thank you mm-hmm. for the history. <laughs> <laughs> now we're going to play, um, you know, arts events coming up this week. Uh, this segment was put together by Rabbit Eye, who you're going to hear coming up at 1 p.m. And he puts together this uh, segment every week for CJMP News. And um, appreciate that. Appreciate the collaboration. Woo. 
Welcome back to Coastal Color. I'm Radharai for CJMP News. This is the November 11th edition of Local Arts News in Powell River. There are life drawing sessions every Tuesday from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. at the Powell River Academy of Music. It's a $10 drop-in. If you'd like to be a model, call 604-483-8994 or email royart at telus.net. Bluesbusters Ron Campbell and the Bluesbusters Jam Session happens on Wednesdays at 8 p.m. There is no cover at TC's Pub, Town Center Hotel. The film The Account opens on Friday, November 11th goes on till Monday, November 14th at 7pm nightly at the Patricia Theatre. There is an art show called The Eviction Notice at the Kaleidoscope Collective Friday, November 11th at 4pm. Again, the Kaleidoscope Collective is 4710 Marine Avenue, Powell River. Little Farmer performs with a new band called Royal Jelly, making their debut on Saturday, November 12th at Lang Bay Hall at 8pm. Tickets are $10 at the door, 8pm. There's a Sunday Song Circle happening on Sunday, November 13th from 2 to 5 p.m. at the Cranberry Community Hall. Sing a song, bring an instrument, or just come to listen. Tea, coffee, and snacks provided. A great way to spend an afternoon at one of the best music venues in Powell River. For more information, Pat Buchner, 604-485-5198. There's a special film screening of the film Amour on Sunday, November 13th at 1.30 p.m. only. It's rated PG. It's 128 minutes. Admission by donation. Proceeds go to the Powell River Hospice Society. This happens at the Patricia Theatre. The film The Inferno opens at Patricia Theatre on Monday, November 14th, goes on until Thursday, November 17th. Chelsea Mercado and the Academy Chamber Choir play on Tuesday, November 15th at 7.30pm. It's $20. To students under 18 years old get in for free. This happens at James Hall Academy of Music. There's a workshop called Judging a Book by Its Cover on Thursday, November 17th at 7pm. It is free. It happens at the Powell River Public Library. Learn 10 insider graphic design secrets with graphic artist and marketing instructor Gary Schilling. To register, email mark at mmerlino at prpl.ca or call 604-485-8664. There's a three-penny opera live broadcast happening at the Max Cameron Theater on Thursday, November 17th at 7 p.m. It's a national theater. Tickets are $25 for adults, seniors and students, $23. You can buy tickets online at maxcameronteater.ca or at the Academy of Music box office or at the Peak offices or 32 Lakes Cafe in Townside or also at the Red Lion Pub in Wildwood. This contains scenes of sexual nature, violence, and filthy language. The second annual 8x8 Anonymous Art Show opens on Saturday, November 19th. It's a one-night-only event. There's a sneak preview at 6 p.m. Admission to that is $10, plus you have to be a member of Powell River Friends of the Library. It is open to all at 7 p.m. It's sort of first-come, 1st first serve at that point. This happens at 32 Lakes Cafe in Townsite, the old Bank of Montreal building. The Invasion of the Victorians happens on Saturday, November 19th at 8.30 p.m. at the Red Line Pub, it's $10. Three Victoria bands, Black Valley Gospel, Crashing Into Things, and High Arctic play for you. Yuck Yuck's Comedy Night happens on Saturday, November 19th at Town Center Hotel's TZ Pub. The doors open at 6.30 p.m. for that show. The Powell River Community Radio Society has an annual general meeting on Thursday, November 24th at 7 p.m. It's free and there are snacks available catered by the convenient chef. This happens again on Thursday, November 24th at 7 p.m. at the Community Resource Center, 4752 Joyce Avenue. It's Powerver's Community Radio Society annual general meeting. All are invited. Artique's annual winter salon happens on Thursday, November 24th from 6 to 9 p.m. It's at 4722 Marina Avenue. Guest artists, music, refreshments, and food bank donations accepted there as well at Artique. There's a play called Those Crazy Ladies in the House on the Corner on Thursday, November 24th, Friday, November 25th, and Saturday, November 26th at 6.30 p.m. at Texada Island's Gillies Bay Community Hall. The Rock Island Play 
players present a seasonal comedy by Pat Cook at the Texada Island Community Hall. The Powell River Fine Arts Association annual Christmas sale happens on Friday, November 25th from 2 to 8 p.m. and Saturday, November 26th from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. at Timberlane. That's across from the Brooks High School track, not to be missed event. A celebration of cultural diversity happens on Saturday, November 26th from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. It is free and happens at the Recreation Complex. For more information, call Coco 604-414-3630. The Powell River Community Band has a circus theme this year with Roy Carlson directing. This happens on Saturday, November 26th at 2 p.m. Tickets are by donation at the Max Cameron Theater. The Powell River Poetry Slam happens on Saturday, November 26th, 7 to 9 p.m. at the Cranberry Community Hall, which is 6828 Cranberry Street. Storyteller Russ Rosen with music by Justin Reese on Thursday, December 1st at 7 p.m. at the Westview Church. Needle Felting Workshop is happening on Thursday, December 1st from 7 to 8.30 p.m. at the Powell River Public Library. Learn the basics in this one-and-a-half-hour demonstration and hands-on workshop at the library and go home with your own little felted object. All supplies are provided, and it's for teens and grown-ups as well. The Gift of the Letterpress Workshop is a workshop happening two separate days. There's uh, one happening on Friday, December 2nd, and one on Saturday, December 3rd from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. at the Powell River Public Library or location to be announced. It is free. There's limited space. Register at the library. Call 604-485-8664. There's a Christmas concert and wassail on Friday, December 2nd at 7.30 p.m. at Evergreen Theater at the Recreation Complex. There's a call for artists for the return of Expose Yourself, which is an erotically themed multidisciplinary art exhibition. The deadline for visual art digital gallery submission is Saturday, January 21st, 2017. You can email iExhibition at gmail.com, which is E-Y-E-X-H-I-B-I-T-I-O-N at gmail.com. The next Expose Yourself exhibition itself is happening on March 17th to 19th. And that is it for this week's Coastal Color. I am Rabbit Eye for CJMP News. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Rabbit Eye. And Rabbit Eye is almost up into the studio. And uh, before we go, though, just want to remind listeners, if you tune in later, uh, we have been playing excerpts from a housing town hall that happened in September. Um, Judy mentioned a couple things about a cold weather shelter at a homeless count, uh, I believe. Um, and those things are both coming to Powell River very soon. And we'll be talking about that more in an upcoming episode. Great. And uh, a reminder as well, listen in tonight, 8 to 10, with uh, the Powtown Get Down. R.A. Dubline will have a special guest. And I also want to remind you that if you missed uh, the show, you can find it online. You can also find all of the audio that I was playing for you from the excerpts on our website. And uh, while you're there, why don't you become a member? Because we like you. Yes, please become a member. And yeah, at 8 p.m. tonight on the Powtown Get Down Radio Show, Sam Cutler. Uh, tour manager of the Rolling Stones. He was at Altamont and also tour manager and co-manager of the Grateful Dead uh, into the mid-70s will be on. So please join me. Uh, Friday Live lineup uh, until 10 p.m. tonight and then Stuntman Radio Show at 10. All right. Now we're going to give the last word to Woody Guthrie today on this historic week. So uh, keep listening to CJMP.